You're listening to Australian Spotlight. Margaret Zhang launched her hit fashion blog Shine by Three from the suburbs of Sydney at age 16, before going on to work with some of the world's biggest brands and becoming one of the most influential Australians in the industry today, featured on the Forbes 30 Under 30 list. We caught up in Century City for a chat. Here it is. You grew up in the northern suburbs of Sydney, I think. I grew up West Ride, which is the best. <laughs> Hello, everyone in West Ride. And I read that your parents migrated to Australia from China. Yes. Were they big into fashion or photography or? Not at all. I mean, I, I feel like my parents still don't really fully understand what it is that I do. My mother's greatest pride is that I can make dumplings from scratch. That's I would quite be the proud life to. skill. Yeah. Um, I am very pleased with myself. <laughs> but yeah, she they're very supportive. And I, I think they haven't really fully grasped what, you know, the industry is and, and what it means. And creative industries generally are not really in their periphery because my, my father is a professor of and doctor of mechanical engineering. Okay. And my mother was a doctor and gynecologist in China. Okay. And and my father are super supportive, but it's just not really in their kind of vernacular Realm like understanding of yeah. universe. Um, How do you describe what you do, by the way? It's it's a lot of everything. It's yeah. very nebulous. I am a strong believer in the fact that anybody creative can really branch out into many things if mm-hmm. you're really creative because mm-hmm. your skills are very kind of applicable to different disciplines. Yeah. Um, but primarily I am a filmmaker. I'm a photographer. I am a stylist. I'm a writer. Um, I consult a lot. A model. A model. My background is music primarily. Yeah. Um, and stage performance. I grew okay. up training to be a ballet dancer, so that was a really big part of my upbringing um, in West Ride. And <laughs> yeah, I, I've been very fortunate in that my parents were kind of, they weren't really sure of what it was that we would, my brother and I would really like growing up. So they kind of did their best to expose us to as much as possible, mm. even if it was outside of their realm of yeah. understanding. Um, so that we could kind of choose for ourselves what it was that we enjoyed. What did you want to be when you grew up? A variety of things. Okay. I remember from age seven through to about 14, I was like, I'm going to be a CEO. Not really <laughs> knowing what that meant. I would just like imagined, you know, power cool. suiting yeah. and office and commanding people. Mm-hmm. And that was the extent of it. And then... Uh, When I was 14, and I don't know why my parents let me go, but I did this kind of school um, world expedition trip to Costa Rica and did a lot of kind of community service. And at that point, I was like, oh, you know, Doctors Without Borders is really interesting to me. My mother was a medical doctor and, you know, she always told me stories about the lives they saved when she was working at the hospital in Hangzhou. Mm. And I thought, you know, that was the path that I was going to go down. So that was kind of my focus alongside ballet then when I kind of stepped away from ballet I was like okay I'm really going to be a doctor then I did all the UMAT all of that and then at the 11th hour with my options for high school I was like actually I think I need to be like I have so many interests I don't need to box myself in Mm -hmm. I feel like I really need to have something a little more universally applicable and Mm -hmm. so I felt like commerce and law you know everything's business everything has a legal touch point yeah. at some point. And so somewhere in the mix, um, I think you were 16 at the time and you launched Shine by Three. I did. Your fashion blog. Tell me, where did that come from? 
honestly, it was a 2 a.m., you know, 16-year-old blog spot situation where it wouldn't let me create an account <laughs> if I hadn't put a name on it. And okay. I, it was just like a delirious, like, oh, shine, shine by three. That sounds kind of catchy. And mm-hmm. I did it and I, it stuck. And I was, it was really for me when I started it, it mm-hmm. was really just for me to write about art and music and design and things that I wanted to talk about that necessarily my peers at school didn't really relate to, sure. or I wasn't really getting the creative outlet that I needed from kind of school curriculum regulated creativity um and so it was just kind of like a little safe space for me to talk about my perspectives and you know show my photos and other people's imagery or painting or art Mm. or music that I really enjoyed and I was really fortunate in that I started at a time when I did and when people were really looking for independent publishing voices Mm -hmm. so grew a following relatively quickly quite by accident okay um very serendipitous and then by the time I was in university it was kind of speaking to a quite sizable yeah. audience which was really nice to be able to have that feedback so you started hearing from folks all around the world readers fans fashion industry people was there a particular moment um when you were like "Ooh, this is this is really taking off yeah, I went to New York for the first time just after the HSC. After I finished year 12, I went to New York. And I think I was walking somewhere really random, like the West Side Highway, where there's just like not that many people. Yep. And this girl walked past me and she doubled back and she's like, hi, are you Margaret Zhang? And I was like, <laughs> I think I was 17 at the time. And yep. it was just such a surreal, I'm on the other side of the world, this girl. And then we proceeded to have a conversation. Yeah. And so, you know, from there, obviously it kind of started to happen a lot more and it was really nice to be able to I guess realize that there are actual humans on the other sides of keyboards. What do you think it was that set it apart that resonated with people? I guess I just had a lot of surface area to which people could relate. Okay. And I feel like that's kind of been consistent throughout my career in the sense that like maybe aesthetically I am not for everybody or my style is not for everybody, but my writing might resonate with somebody yeah. whether or not you're into fashion or music or whatever it is. But then, you know, I am really informed by musical history and like the history element is something that people are interested in. Mm. Or I have like a lot of opinions about kind of how marketing should be done and, and how business strategy should be approached and I'm quite vocal about that and mm. I also represent you know immigrant minorities and I also represent youth perspectives mm. and until very recently and even now I think young people do feel the pressure to kind of adhere to social rules and you know, the the path and the formula that your career advisor at school tells you that you have to do to get somewhere. Mm. And like, yes, if you want to be a, a brain surgeon, like there is a way to do that. Like, please <laughs> do not deviate for everybody's safety. Yes. <laughs> but, you know, in the creative field, there's like a lot more elasticity and so many more options and you can forge your own path and it's totally okay. So by the time you finished high school, you already had a pretty massive global audience, but you decided you, you did want to go on to college. You went to a terrific university. University um, in Australia, University of Sydney. So this is something my mother always said to me. She's always said that, you know, people can fake it till they make it. um, But if they don't have real skills and they don't have the foundation set to be able to build on, they're not going to be sustainable. Mm. What they're doing won't be sustainable. And for me, I think it's really important to, regardless of whether it's university, kind of commit yourself to self-learning in some way, whether that's taking a course Mm. or even just learning from your peers and Mm. putting yourself outside of your comfort zone to really set yourself up skills-wise or even to just build perspectives. I mean, the things that I learn 
from law school or from business school because law school teaches you problem solving and business school everything is business today we're not in new york in the 80s anymore (laughs) where you could be this like pure artist i think there's a reality of the world now where like you kind of have to balance that art and commerce you Mm -hmm. know so i think it's really important to have those foundations and again it doesn't need to be a traditional university setup it could be something as simple as like a two-week online course or a youtube tutorial yep. you know just like commit yourself to learn some kind of foundational skill set that you can then build on so yeah. that you're not kind of running on empty so while you were studying full-time your career was going from strength to strength i saw you would have been i think in your fourth year at law school you were named one of clinique's global faces for its face forward it campaign on- yeah i remember that actually i think i'd gone kind of just at the beginning of mid-semester break to shoot this campaign and beforehand I was just like not sleeping because I had exams beforehand I was studying and then on the way back I was studying it got to a point really actually where you know flight attendants were recognizing me on flights there and back because I was on a lot of the same flights okay and I was like this is I have a problem like this needs to stop (laughs) (laughs) and was there one particular invitation or event or opportunity where it really struck you that things were getting real I mean I had my head so deep in books like even (laughs) when I was at fashion week I would be going home to like write essays and study, which is, you know, normal of anybody who's working a full-time job. I just had like a very particular kind of full-time job. And so I wasn't really doing the socializing and things that are generally associated with fashion. I was just there to shoot or to be shot or to write and file stories. And, you know, it was great to be a part of the industry. And it was often crazy at a young age to see all these kind of iconic industry figures um, and that was quite amazing Mm. but I wouldn't say that there was any moment where I was like this is it I don't think anybody really truly has that moment yeah where they're you know regardless of what industry it's never like oh wow now I've made it (laughs) because you're always like I think you look back on your work from six months ago and you're like oh my god that was so bad (laughs) what was I thinking (laughs) so you graduate um from Sydney Uni and decide to move to New York City yeah um talk me through that move honestly it was a a logistical thing because I was flying there so much and because I'd been going there so much a lot of my work network was there a lot of my friend network was there so it wasn't really like a you know fish out of water move where mm. I was turning up in a city that where I didn't know anybody or I didn't um, know how to get around or use the subway and things like that I was very familiar with where I liked and mm. where I didn't like just based on me being there a lot for work throughout university in amongst it all you were doing work with um, all kinds of folks all kinds of industries Harper's Bazaar Elle Louis Vuitton Disney and and you're still kind of going obviously but um, has there been one project that's really stuck with you for any reason I mean this was more of a, a personal project um, I did a short film last year that YouTube music was really kind to support because they appreciated my music background, but also kind of what I was endeavoring to do in film. This is the film and about so, your first great love? Yes, it is about my first great love, <laughs> piano, which is super nerdy. But, you know, music really informs everything that I do, which is kind of surprising to people. And I think that was a really telling moment for me because, you know, the fashion industry was kind of like, oh, are you a musician now? Whereas art and film industries were like, okay, this is interesting. Like, tell us more. Mm. But I did this film basically at the end of last year that I spent all of 2017 on, just about. Wow. Called There's No Space Left in C Sharp Minor. And it was just a really big passion project when I hadn't really had the opportunity to do 
a purely passion project for mm. a long time. I mm. mean, like you said, for a long time, I was consulting for brands and shooting for brands and, you know, modeling for brands and, and writing for magazines. And mm. it was always kind of ironic in a way because my foot into the industry was as an independent voice. Then when you start working with brands and with publications, there's always the brief that comes from the brand or the publication. You speak on behalf of somebody in a way um, as a creative extension of what you're doing, but it's still kind of under the umbrella of what they do. Yeah. And so it was quite actually quite difficult to do this passion project on my own and as myself. It was like quite exposing and I can understand more clearly after that why artists often kind of get inside their own heads and, and spiral a little bit or why it's so difficult to kind of get out of a writer's block or something like that because you kind of start to doubt your motivations and you're so close to a project that you can't see it objectively. Mm. And it was just a quite small, tight, very personal production with people that I really enjoy working with and I really respect. Mm. Um, yeah, and kind of premiered it at the Fashion Laureate in Australia last year with this big multimedia kind of silent film activation where we played the second act of the film and I live played the soundtrack. Oh, wow. That was a lot of That's practice. Intense, yeah. It was quite intense. <laughs> yeah, and did screenings in New York and in LA. So had a lot of different eyeballs on it mm. and it was good to get different reactions and what people gravitated towards. Yeah. Uh, from different fields and expand that surface area even further you were talking yeah, about into short film um you've also racked up more than a million instagram followers talk yes. me through <laughs> talk me through what do you think it takes for content to reach a, a mass audience these days it's interesting because instagram didn't exist when i started writing online mm. um twitter at the time was not even really hadn't really taken off mm. yet the landscape has changed so much and I have found myself evolving just almost subconsciously. And I think, I mean, people always say authenticity, but then the word authenticity itself has kind of taken on this brand identity, mm. which doesn't mean anything. Um, and, you know, I, I ran this summit in Sydney called Forefront yeah. earlier this year. And one of the big talking areas, because it was a lot of different industries that we put together in, in terms of speakers, but also curated the audience. But across all industries, across all age groups, it didn't matter where you worked, what level you were at, whether you're exec, you're middle management, whether you're an intern, whatever. One of the biggest questions that we discussed were what is branding and what is culture and what do those things actually mean? Mm. Because everybody wants to be a part of culture, but they don't know what subculture they're speaking to and they don't know what culture they're promoting for their consumer or mm. their community. And what does branding actually mean? You know, you can build an image around your brand, but if there's nothing substantial about it and if you don't advocate for any kind of message and you don't need to be all things to all people, but I think people now have a really hard time kind of crystallizing what they stand for mm. and it's a lot of kind of surface level um, skin deep very superficial conversation that's mm. happening at mm. the moment much to the detriment of you know actual causes and and actually important conversations that really need to happen but you know it's just consistency and it's important to kind of understand 
and separate in a way who you are as a person but also what you represent to people and what you have to say. They're very different things and I think, you know, one of the biggest issues I have with kind of this age of influence and Mm. the digital sphere that's going on at the moment, it's kind of like to have influence is not actually a, a, a point of view. To have influence is not an occupation to have influence should be a, a byproduct of great work or a, a voice that means something. And it's not the mere kind of power of celebrity for the sake of celebrity. Mm. And there's no impact in that. Mm. And there's no longevity in that. And at the same time, I have also learned to be less judgmental about, you know, there's always space for everyone. The internet democratize everything. Mm. And so if that's the way that you want to run a business or you want to represent yourself, then cool, go for it. Like mm. if you can pay rent with Instagram posts, power to go you. Go for it, yeah. That's great. But also know, like going back to, you know, what my mom said, it's like if you don't have a skill set and you don't have the foundations and the view and the viewpoint and the opinions to really back up what you're saying or what you're presenting to people, then it's not really going to resonate in a very genuine way. Mm. And maybe it'll resonate with maybe a, a much younger kind of less um experienced audience but then as they grow up as they have life experiences as they become more three-dimensional people Mm. they won't stay with you yeah so i think that like self-evolution i guess and going back to that self-learning idea of you know whether or not it's self-education with tertiary education Mm. or secondary education whatever it is you always have to kind of push yourself to evolve and kind of allow whoever wants to evolve with you to stay with you. Yeah. And I would say, and I'm very, very lucky that the large majority of my followers have been with me since day one. Like they, they've kind of been with me since I was 16 and they've seen the whole evolution and they followed me from and they're just excited and they're kind and they're lovely. Yeah. And I don't have kind of the like super menacing and, and mean. Sure comments where people like oh you know like you to hate you kind of thing. sure yeah they're always very supportive you know again it's the surface area like they might like this thing that i do but not the other and that's okay mm. and you mentioned forefront which yes. looked great it, kind of like a summit of global thought leaders that you yes, held early you this to come year to the next one <laughs> yeah well, um talk me through it what what was your what were you hoping to achieve with that yeah so i have um i co-run this company called background um co-founded it with some great, great guys who are from all around the world um, and all from different backgrounds, some from music, some from finance, advertising agency. Um, But our common frustration was kind of the quality of work that was being done, regardless Mm. of what field had really dropped in it. Um, And so we formed background about a year and a half ago, actually almost coming up to two years. And so we do a range of things, working with brands that we believe in or working with different bodies that we believe in. And Forefront was one of those things where, you know, we were so sick of seeing conferences and panel talks and summits where all people do is self-promote. You know, companies send their reps and Mm. they have their agenda of what they have to say. Mm. And that's fine. But how is that moving anything forward? It's Mm. like the fact that you as an individual has this unique set of circumstances that helped you do X, Y, Z in 98 is irrelevant to everybody present. And like, that's nice to listen to, but how can we actually talk about, you know, things like I was saying before, like sustainability, Mm. like, you know, mentorship, things like youth mentorship that Jack Bancroft at AIM came and did a workshop at the end of Forefront. Yeah. And we had, you know, a NASA rocket propulsion engineer and we had 
A-Side, who produces music for Kanye West and Frank Ocean and ASAP Rocky. And we had Marina Go, who's an ASX board member. Lindsay Cornell. We had Lindsay Cornell, fellow podcast friend and also <laughs> a dear friend of mine, as yeah. it happens. Um, you know, all of these people are in independent industries, kind of cross-pollination of ideas between all of them. There's mm. actually a lot of overlap. And I think that's really important to kind of collaborate, to kind of look outside of your space as well for self-learning. That reminds me, you, in the last couple of years, have been doing some consulting work in mm-hmm. Western to Chinese and Chinese to Western cultural mm-hmm. bridging. Yes. Uh, talk me through that. So I guess one of the biggest advantages of me growing up in Australia is that the Asian immigrant community in Australia still really holds on to the great things about their heritage. Mm. And so, you know, I went to Chinese school every Saturday out in Marrickville. <laughs> um, and so did my brother and, you know, my friends and all of my friends who are of Asian descent in mm. Australia speak their mother tongue, mm. which is not true of a lot of Western countries. I know a lot of my friends who are my generation in the US, they are American and they, they have not kind of grown up in a very Chinese household or a very Asian household or whatever mm. it is. And um, I know this is the case for a lot of other ethnic groups as well. And so, you know, also having a Western business education, a kind of Western creative education in many ways, um, but then also going back to China regularly, kind of seeing the way that my family and my cousins and my peers and friends in China or, or in Asia when I was going there um, – were really engaging with product and culture and music and and media and whatever Mm. it was, it kind of gave me this interesting advantage to see from both sides, like, yes, I did the business in China subject at business school, but also seeing how it actually manifests practically Mm. in China, understanding the cultural fundamentals that allow you to speak uh, to business people in China in a specific way Mm. that you can understand what they're saying beyond just the language because it's so much more than that. Um, And so, yeah, it's been really interesting to kind of be able to bridge that gap and stand between you know, the, the East and the West, poetically speaking, yeah. um, from a business and creative standpoint, because it, it's a really exciting time. And obviously between China and Australia, there's a lot of collaboration there and there's a lot of trade there, a lot of curiosity, a lot of tourism mm. both ways. Mm. Um, and so to show companies, you know, it's really important to have cultural understanding. doesn't matter where it is. Mm. And I think there are a lot of, companies or media or individuals who can get away with not doing their research in different regions in Asia or, you know, in countries that are kind of similar to theirs, maybe in Europe, but with China, just because of the sheer number of consumers and the saturation of newness there's always something novel there's always the next big thing and the consumers are always looking for the next big thing you can't afford to not do your research is there something about growing up in australia that you think has prepared you to do what it is you do um i think australia thrives in isolation (laughs) i really think that this is a thing i mean it's such paradise in many ways um it's such an amazing place to grow up Mm. because of the infrastructure and kind of the government support for education and and arts programs and i think just because we are so far away it really allows us as creatives or you know as entrepreneurs and and you just see that like Mm. There's proof of concept left, right and centre mm. in any industry of Australians just killing the game yeah. everywhere yeah. internationally because the ideas that are generated from not being kind of in the bubble in, you know, whatever 
sure. Silicon Valley or in New York or in Paris or whatever it mm. is, mm. kind of allows you this outside perspective, but also the infrastructure is there to really support that with real foundations, which yeah. I think is amazing. So you've achieved so much in a handful of years. I suspect you're just getting started. What's next? So I'm working on my first feature film at the moment, which is a little daunting, but I'm very excited. And film is something that I'd always wanted to do because of my background in performance and in music. And it's kind of like the perfect conflation of photography and lighting and choreography and costuming and fashion and writing and mm. like everything that I've always done and all in one kind of giant medium, which is amazing. Um, so I'm working on my first feature that I'll shoot next year in China mm -hmm. and it'll be a Mandarin language one, but with the goal of being an internationally kind of, it's written to be a universal story, which great. is great. And then, yeah, work, have a few other ones in the works, like different screenplays in the works and a few books in the works um, in terms of like optioning to adapt into films. So that's kind of the long hustle. You've been so generous with your time. I can't wait to see what you do next. Thanks for the chat. Always. Please do leave us a review, subscribe, and follow the Australian Consulate General Los Angeles on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening.